Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hi, I'm Kim Lapree from the Teachers Need Teachers Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 102 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we are going to share some of our favorite YouTube tips and tricks and talk a little bit about just all the things that you can do and how you can use this in your classroom. Of course, we're going to catch you up on some Google News and updates. And we've got some wonderful mailbag items from our listeners. So, Matt, you ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, Tribe. So welcome to 2020, first episode of the new year. And surprise, surprise, Google is taking this opportunity to do a little 2019 year in review. And, you know, since so much of what we talk about is focused around Google, it is interesting to kind of take that perspective and look back with them. So um, they talked about in this post, talked about some of the things that um, that they've been doing, like they mentioned the code with Google, which brings together computer science resources for educators and coding programs for students. So if you haven't checked out code with Google, that's a kind of a cool one. They had this thing called the tech day that brought hundreds of students to Google to learn about computer science, uh, partnerships with 4-H and the boys and girls club and, and all of that. So that's been pretty cool. Of course, they've also got Stadia, their new video game platform that has come out that um, is, is starting to get more and more popular. Um, they've got some tips that they've shared throughout the year to master your email, to add mindfulness to your everyday routine and all of that. Um, we've also got, you know, they've, they've had a wide variety of things. Did you know that they they used John Legend's voice as part of the Google Assistant. This was something that was new to me. I didn't didn't realize that. So, and then there's also new emojis that have come to Android phones. So that's just kind of a snapshot of some of the things that they've added. In addition with those um, Android phones, they've they've got the spam call um, screener, which uh, if you've got an Android phone, that has been a pretty nice thing to, to be able to use too. So lots and lots of different things coming out in Google this year. So if you want to check those out, we've got a link in the show notes. So wait, I want to know, have you been talking to John Legend? Well, I mean, other than the the normal phone calls that we have every Thursday morning, um, no, not really. 
<laughs> oh wait, you guys didn't know that I have Tom Legend's right? cell phone number and we hang out. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know. Maybe maybe I've got to make the switch now so I can talk to John. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about another article that was on the keyword blog. And this is this was published in December, which later in December after the whole computer science education week. And it's one teacher's reflection on participating in the Hour of Code and CS Ed Week. And I find that very reassuring to see this. And I know many of you listening participated, but there are a lot of teachers who don't get it. Like, why in the world does this matter? This doesn't have anything to do with what I teach. And so this was actually from Tori Pickens, and she teaches at George B. Armstrong Elementary School for International Studies. And her students were participating all week, and they asked her, why did you want to teach an hour of code this year? And I really love this response. She said, I think that working on these projects increases students' metacognition or ability to think about their thinking, right? That's that's what they're doing. So the skills they're learning translate into other things, that it doesn't just have to be about coding. That is a critical thinking skill that's going to help them transfer that skill into other real-life situations. So she goes on to share what she enjoyed and particularly special, she said, because their theme was heroes this year and coding their hero became a really, I think, personal connection for many of them and helping her to even build stronger relationships with her students. But there are a lot of great questions in here. So as you are contemplating your own level of participation and maybe trying to encourage other teachers, this article is definitely worth it. Yeah, a look. I totally agree. You know, when I was uh, teaching high school Spanish, we even did a little bit of the hour of code stuff. And I, you know, my, my thought was that if I can't find a great connection to this right away, maybe if I start trying it and I get into it a little bit, maybe that'll help me to see it. Um, even if I didn't see it right away. So I really love her emphasis on this. And I mean, you know, metacognition and, you know, critical thinking and problem solving is all stuff that affects all of us. And that's all, you know, those are all some of the lessons that you get out of coding. So I really, really like that. Another one to share with you has to do with Google Translate, which is, of course, near and dear to this foreign language teacher's heart. Um, even though it is kind of a contentious topic for foreign language teachers. Um, however, Google Translate and a lot of the other translation programs out there are here to stay. And um, there's been an interesting sort of update to it. Uh, and this has to do with offline translation. Because for a lot of the translating programs, it used to be that they could only translate when they had an active internet connection. And, you know... Surprise, surprise, there are lots of places in this world where you don't have a great internet connection. I know that pretty well being out here in very rural West Central Indiana where it feels like I have no internet connection more places than I do have an internet connection. But um, Google Translate's app is improving and the offline translation is getting better. You can get 59 different languages and they say offline translation is 12% more accurate with improved word choice, grammar, and sentence structure. This is something that I'm noticing too, um, you know, as someone who, um, you know, is, is able to communicate in multiple languages. I like to kind of see how good the translation is. And that is definitely something that is improving over time. 
Another thing that it will do is offer what's called uh, transliteration. And so sometimes whenever you're translating into another language, it's using a script that you're not familiar with, you know, like an alphabet for lack of a better term. And so they'll show it to you in that actual alphabet that it's supposed to be in, but then it will also translate it over as best as it can into the alphabet you're used to. So with us, you know, the ABC alphabet. So um, those are a couple of the really nice things that come with Google Translate that can help, you know, any students that you have or family or parents that you have that, that don't speak English as their first language. And for all those people on 90 Day oh, I Fiance. I forgot about that. <laughs> talked about last time. <laughs> yeah, I digress. There were, I did get a few people who reached out to me who was, who were totally thinking about that show as well. So yeah, okay. They, they're all going to be able to do it without the internet. I have another article from the keyword blog that I want to share that really has to do with Google search and how they're trying to battle fake news and fake information, not just news, but they have something that they highlight in the Google search that will show you if there is a fact check related to what you're searching for. And this has been going on now for over, I think about three years. And it helps people and students, more importantly, understand when they're searching for things you know, whether this is just made up information, because there's so much junk out there, y'all, that it makes it really difficult to kind of filter through this. So this is part of Google search. And what's interesting is they did share that the the fact checks, which they appear as a Google News item labeled and highlighted in your search, but these have appeared more than 11 million times a day in search results. So that's huge. And that added up to roughly 4 billion impressions per year. So that's a ginormous amount of, of impact. I think that that's hopefully helping people if they're paying attention to it. And hopefully we are teaching our students to pay attention to these things. But they have a library of 40,000 fact checks that are publicly available for anyone to, to use. And they have a dedicated search tool that you can use. And it's for researchers to access. And they even have an open API so that you can connect your searches to it as well. They've been working with the Duke Reporters Lab and the Inter International Fact Checking Network around the adoption of structured data fields for fact checks about multimedia. So they're really trying to bring together these different organizations to make sure that we are getting the best information that we can. So the information generated by these efforts might provide valuable context for people as they use Google products. For instance, we could surface the origin of a miscaptioned image that never happens, right? Or background on the creator of a manipulated video. That's, that's what's so crazy these days is it's so easy to manipulate information and put it out there for people to think it's real. And I see it every day. I see somebody posting something or somebody who really thinks something is real. And it just, it, this is the world that our students are growing up in. And so we have to be vigilant about talking about this in our classes. Every student that's doing any kind of research, this needs to be part of the conversation. And we need to understand what fact-checking really is and make sure that we're finding reliable and valid sources for our information. 
Yeah. And this is such a good place. It's like, you know, you felt like for a while that Google was kind of like washing their hands of it. Like, hey, if it shows up in, you know, in search and in news and everything, it's not our job. But now it seems like they're kind of taking the reins on that because, you know, this is this is a way that a lot of people get their news and get their information and kind of feels to me like they have the moral imperative to do something about keeping disinformation, misinformation, whatever you want to call it, um, off of the Internet. So um, glad to glad to see that this is continuing to grow. Um, of course, if you want to check out any of these articles or get more information on anything we talk about in the show, you can head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 102. All right, let's start talking about the second largest search engine in the world, YouTube. So YouTube is a dominant presence in our culture and our students' lives. And there are so many things that we can do with it. There are ways that we can use it to our advantage in the classroom. And yes, I promise it can be used for good and not evil. But we do have a lot of little tips and tricks to share with you. I wanted to start the conversation with a little bit of an introduction to YouTube Studio. So those of you who've had a YouTube channel for a while may already be familiar with the fact that Google is gradually pushing their old Studio Classic away. We I don't think we even have a timeline. I'm looking at the support page right now, and it just says, over the next few months, Creator Studio Classic is going away. Well, I teach a lot of... Google online specifically to help users pass that level one and level two exam. And there are some YouTube questions. So I'm constantly having to update these lessons because Google keeps changing their mind. And there are features that still only work in classic. And so Matt and I were having this conversation, even with our own channels, how we're having to go back and forth to do different things. It's really frustrating. So I do hope that the new studio is going to, which is still technically in beta. I'm hoping that it's going to improve and get the rest of those features so we don't have to keep toggling back and forth. And by the way, if you are logged in, and I should probably check this, but I did this just the other day. If you're logged into your YouTube channel and you go to the um, YouTube studio, down at the bottom left of your menu, you'll see a little guy who's running backwards and you can go back to Studio Classic. So that's how you go back and forth. So if you're in the new one and you're like, hey, where is this feature? It's probably still in the old one. So we're still kind of in this transition phase where you kind of have to know a little bit of both to do the things that you really want to do. But just be aware that this is happening. I think they're headed in the right direction. I just don't don't know when we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny that that little icon is a guy running away because that's kind of the way that we feel sometimes with this, with this beta. It's like, I want to run away from it as fast as I can. But um, like, like Casey said, I think they're heading in the right directions. Just, you know, some frustrations of, of making a transition. So anyway, whether you have seen this uh, YouTube studio beta or not, um, there are a handful of things that are out there related to um, YouTube that we can use in our classroom. Uh, let me start with something that you can notice on the homepage of YouTube. Um, so up in sort of the top right hand, 
area, there's a little picture of a camera and that's a place where you can upload your videos to YouTube, but it also has the ability to go live. Now going live used to be this real complicated thing and it still is depending on how you want to do it. But YouTube has created a version of going live where you can just record a video off of your webcam and get it onto your YouTube channel. So I've heard, um, you know, a handful of times of people saying, what are the, you know, some of the best and easiest ways for me to just record a video and get it out to my students? If they have access to YouTube, then this is a pretty easy way to do it. Um, so all you've got to do in this case is you hit that little, uh, video camera button. And then once it opens up, one of the tabs will be webcam. And so from there, you just, you know, allow your webcam and your microphone and you can record and that video goes straight through into your YouTube channel. And of course, from there, you can keep it as public where people can find it through a YouTube search. Or you can change to unlisted, where only the people who are given the link are able to um, are able to access it. And of course, you can make them private too. But um, being able to use that webcam, they they used to have a feature like this a long time ago, and I used to use it fairly regularly, and um, it got taken off. And so now they've got this more updated version of it, which works real well. So. Anyway, this is one of those real simple things that you may or may not have known is there and, um, you know, talk about your instructional videos. If you do, you know, like tech coaching or instructional coaching, this is an easy way to record videos for your teachers, um, recording videos for parents, you know, if, uh, they need to help their, their kids with, you know, homework or whatever, or if you've got clubs, it's just a nice little tool to have. So can I just say that I miss Hangouts on Air? Oh, me too. I don't, I don't know if anybody else. I The YouTube Live is not the same and you can't do the same things. And I don't know if it's because they're forcing these, these content creators who are making money on there to do other things. But I really got frustrated uh, actually in, in December when I was doing some live stuff on YouTube and I decided to switch it because I couldn't really do what I wanted to. And I feel like, you know, at first that transition was very similar, but now they've made some changes to YouTube live that just haven't quite given me the same option. And if I remember correctly, I think one of the things that I was struggling with was the screen share option was not as simple as it used to be. You know, in Hangouts, we would just click a button and you could go back and forth. And they've made that so much more difficult. Uh, if somebody's listening to this and I've I've misunderstood, let me know. But I I don't really understand where where they went with that. But just so you know, just to clarify, you know, um, Matt's talking about the webcam, but you can also just click on your little uh, camera icon in the top right, and you'll see go live. And live video is of course dominating everything. People are going live everywhere. And as a teacher, I don't know if you have a lot of reasons that you need to go live, but you still have the option. And just to check that out, there are lots of different ways to do it. You can set it up and schedule it for later. You have to verify if it's made for kids, by the way. Um, they have a little note about COPA and making sure that you're going to abide by those laws. You're required to tell them if you're not. So I think they're trying to crack down on some of those things. And you can actually choose the 
category. So you can put this in an education category. Um, I've always suffered a lot with finding the right categories because I feel like people don't they lump education into other other ways to learn online. So they're not just talking K-12. So I feel like that can also be misleading. But the the YouTube live situation has has sort of irked me a little bit. I really wish that they would go back to to making it as easy as it was before to to do some of those things like we used to do in hang out, hangouts on air before and you know that's completely gone. Um, you can do the hangouts meet, but that takes us into a whole other whole other topic. We'll save that one for another episode. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about. I think a little hidden gem inside YouTube is the free audio library. And when you go to your studio from your channel and you click on, you know, go to uh, the creator studio at the bottom of the left hand menu, you'll see audio library. And this is free music and sound effects that you and your students can use in the classroom and in your projects. And in fact, the Google Teacher Tribe theme song came from this library. I I was trying to think of which one, what the name of it was, but Matt and I were digging around. We listened to a bunch of them and we just kind of decided which one we thought was going to set the tone for the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. But it's a great place. And in fact, a lot of podcasters get songs from there because these are set with different attributions. You can actually filter it so that attribution is not required or look at all different types of licenses here. But there is a ton of sound effects, background music, all kinds of things. So whether you're actually using YouTube for the project, there's a lot of audio that you can bring in and guess where we can now insert audio. In Google Slides. So if you're looking for some some music, some background music or something to use in those slides projects, this is perfect because you can download it and then you can upload it into your drive and insert it now into your Google Slides projects. Yeah, which is which is super, super cool. Um, yeah, I I don't think um, I'm with Casey on this. I don't think that enough people realize that all of this stuff is out here and that it really is available for us to use. One of the things that after I, you know, I opened this up for this episode and started tinkering in it is that a lot of these sound effects you can download, you know, download the audio file and drop them into wherever. Now, of course, you know, you do want to use them. Um, you want to use them responsibly, but that's, you know, that's another piece of this that, um, that I don't think, you know, that was something that I didn't know nearly as much as I should have too. So really, really cool options out there. Yeah, I'm I'm really wanting to hear this aggressive zombie <laughs> snarls. <laughs> Is that that's the first one of the first no, ones? Did you see it. that one on your oh list? Oh my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> aggressive zombie snarl. Really? Oh, it is pretty creepy. Yeah, there. Yeah, the aggressive zombie snarls. Yeah, there are some interesting oh, ways that right people there. name this too. At the top of my list are the eighteen volt uh-huh. uh, drills. So, um, yeah, you can find just about anything mm-hmm. in baby here. Baby heavy to breaths, use. baby sleep breaths. Do you see it? <laughs> Battle baby agony heavy moans. <laughs> Uh, billiard balls, bowling shots, car door open and shut. Oh gosh. I could go on and on cartoon boing. Wow. These are really good. Okay. 
Yeah. Audio library. Definitely go check that out. Um, I wanted to share another uh, tip that you may or may not be familiar with. Um, and this is kind of useful because I bet a lot of us have dealt with this before where you show a video and you're showing it to students or to fellow teachers or something. And once the video is done, you get either you get ads involved in it somehow or you get the suggested videos at the end and you're going, oh, my goodness, this is not what I had in mind, especially <laughs> especially when the suggested videos come on and the kids are like, oh, watch that one next. Oh, let's watch that one. Or we've got the ad that comes on that's a little less than appropriate and we go, there's a couple of ways to get around that. And so um, one that I know teachers have been using for a while is ViewPure. So you can go to ViewPure.com and it will basically allow you to take that video and remove a lot of the, you know, the comments and the sidebar related videos and then show that video without a lot of those distractions. So that's one. Let me share another one with you that you may not have known about, and that has to do with um, taking a video, and if you stick a video into slides, so if you go insert video and you go find the YouTube video within slides and stick it into a slide, and you present the slide you know, on your projector or your display or whatever you're going to be showing it on, whenever you play that video, there will be no ads. There will be no suggested videos. It's just the video because... I think uh, Google assumes that if you're showing a video in a slide that you're showing it to an audience and that you don't want to see those suggested videos and they pull the the ads and all of that. So those are a couple of quick ways to be able to avoid a lot of, you know, a lot of that stuff that you may not want to be showing <laughs> whoever it is that you're showing the videos to. Those are must have teacher skills, right? YouTube is such a hot mess uh, or hotbed of whatever happens to be going on in the world and lots of inappropriate things floating around. So I feel like those things need to be shared with teachers every single year to make sure they know how to do that. And, you know, there's so much useful information on YouTube that just blocking it drives me crazy. So let's make sure that we're giving them the right tools to to use that. So I know ViewPure is one of the favorites of many teachers. I want to share with you one last quick tip. And this actually comes from a really old blog post of mine. I was digging into the archives on this one, y'all. I probably should just update it because it still works. And it, it was posted back in April of 2015. Easily turn a YouTube clip into an animated GIF. And this is super easy. So if there's ever been like a little clip inside a video that you want to make into a GIF, all you have to do is go to that YouTube link and between the dot and the Y in YouTube, you're going to type GIF. So it's going to look like it says Jiffy Tube when you type it in and it will load your video with a little editor. And this is just from GIFs.com where you can pick the start time and end time. I believe the limit is still 10 or 15 seconds. So you need to find that little clip in your video 
and then it will magically generate the the image for you so that you can put that into whatever project you're using because we all love to have fun with some GIFs. I do have an example in my blog post. So, uh, Matt, this is actually from my Google oh, Teacher Academy application video. <laughs> <laughs> and it is pretty yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So I did it infomercial style and I took a clip of me doing something really, really funny it's, to me. That's it's not, yeah. yeah, it's just it's funny. Wink. You just have to see it. So I'm winking at the camera, <laughs> which I don't do very well. And I purposely did it that way. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm sharing, I, I'm oversharing today, but um, that's a really easy way. So you can do that with any clip that's on YouTube. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a good one. That is a good tip. And that is also a really good gift GIF. I may have to like download that one and find some place to share it. I, I don't know. Maybe not, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. Um, anyhow, uh, lots of good YouTube <laughs> stuff here. We didn't get to everything that we had on our list. In fact, I put something on here about creating playlists and how you can create collaborative playlists as well, where you ha can have multiple people, um, fellow teachers, students, whoever collaborate on your playlist. So there's a link to an article about that, as well as all the other things that we talked about in this episode at googleteachertribe.com slash 102. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Okay, Tribe, it's mailbag time, and we've got a couple of things to share with you. wanted to share this fun one here at the beginning. This was from Stephanie Nasso from Gunnison, Colorado, and she says, I just found the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. It's like finding a new favorite show on Netflix, and there's already five seasons. You guys understand that, right? Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, there's five seasons. We can go watch them. She said, I'm so excited to hear all of the tips you guys have on how to incorporate tech into my high school math class. Thanks, guys. And thank you, Stephanie, for checking out the podcast. Um, so wanted to share a, uh, just some, some ideas shared by someone from the tribe. This is from Lisa Scumpieru from Hagerstown, Maryland. And she said she was listening to episode 99 and liked the idea of Jamboard as a portfolio system. If you're not familiar, Jamboard is the, the app that Google offers. That's kind of like a whiteboard app, um, that you could use on an interactive display, kind of like a Jamboard, you know, um, but you can use the app for pretty much anything. So she offered some ideas on how you might use Jamboard as a portfolio system. So if you wanted students to be able to keep track of the things that they've been learning and, you know, almost use it as a sort of like a visual resume of sorts. Um, these are some of her ideas for using this whiteboard type app to do that. And so she said, uh, you might set up a Jamboard with pages that have two pages per marking period and have one page as best work and reflection and the other one as goals. So for each marking period, you know, one page for each of those. Um, she said for best work, students could bring it in from drive, from reflection, they could play, place a little post-it note next to their work about what they thought about it. And then for goals, she said, this could be student choice, let them draw their goals or find pictures to represent it and then have them add a post-it note to explain their work. And she said, you could even have students screencast their jams. So, you know, the jams are the little, uh, interactive 
you know, the, the whiteboards where you put your information. She said, have them screencast that. So take a, a video of their screen and then they can talk through their portfolio and add it to Google Classroom or even a Google site. So I'm glad that Lisa thought through this. These are some, some really good suggestions. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm really loving Jamboard. The more I learn about it and the more I play with it, it's definitely something that I am trying to do more with and and explore as a different type of tool for for teachers and students. So I'm, I'm so glad that she shared that. Thank you, Lisa. I have a question here from Stephanie Fitzpatrick. She is from Chicago. And she said, I know there was a mention of Google Expeditions coming to Chromebooks. Is there a date that this will come to the platform? Um, Stephanie, as far as I know, we do not have a definitive date from Google. This appears to be one of those things that was announced that it would be in our future and we're left hanging on, <laughs> kind of like we are with the the YouTube studios and with all of the different things that we've been fighting to get inside our Chromebooks. And so I do want to mention, though, something that a lot of people don't realize is if you have a newer Chromebook, it has to run a certain certain version of Chrome. You can actually run Android apps on the Chromebook. So I'm going to put a link in our show notes for everyone to access this and see if your Chromebooks will comply with this this method. But you can run the Android app of Google Expeditions on those Chromebooks. So it's kind of a little workaround. It's it's definitely not perfect, but I did play with this. I wrote a post on it actually a couple of years ago. So I'm going to throw the link in there to that post as well, uh, about six different Android apps to try on a Chromebook. So right now, that's the only solution that I'm aware of. I am hoping that we will get a date. I will tell you, I actually got in trouble for that post of Android apps on a Chromebook because I specifically said you could use Expeditions. Google thought I was releasing information that I wasn't supposed to release, but I didn't. But I almost got scolded by Google. So anybody who ever thinks that we we work for Google, no. (laughs) But they do pay attention sometimes. So no, this has been a couple of years and we really thought we were close anyway to getting this. And so I am a little bit disappointed because I... I don't feel like this is something that should take very long. I mean, it's their device. Why aren't we making this available? So if anybody else has uh, any answers or if you work for Google and you're listening to this, (laughs) please let us know when we can have this. We're going to start some sort of riot to get it done. So I have all of those links for you, plus everything that Matt have I Matt and I have talked about today and more because we didn't get to cover it all. It's all in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 102. I'm not used to saying those three numbers. So Matt, we didn't remember to actually jump into the mailbag. I don't think we did any jumping. So we're going to jump into the blogs on this one and talk about what what we've been posting. You know, we took a couple of weeks off for the holidays. So there are lots of things that you may have missed. Every year, I always put together a post with the top posts of the year. So yes, 
Chris, I posted a post with a post. It is the top 20 posts of 2019. So all of the favorites on the ShakeUp Learning blog so far. So you can get that list in our show notes, as well as I want to share a really special guest post and ShakeUp Learning Show episode that I did with Pam Hubler. I know she's listening. We love you, Pam. Pam shared her potty PD ideas. So it's really a a great method to take advantage of a captive audience. Whether you truly want to put these in the bathroom, it does not matter, y'all. Don't be grossed out, but just little posters to inspire your teachers. Give them some quick tips or some links. They can go by the copying machine. They can go in the teacher's lounge, just somewhere where teachers might spend some time and make use of that. She has a template that she shared, and there's lots of great tips in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. That's something that We've been doing on Ditch That Textbook for a little while, too. We call ours printable PD, although I do like the idea of potty PD also. Um, so, yeah, those those have been super popular for us. And, um, yeah, I'm glad glad that, that Pam was able to share those. I also wanted to um, share with you real quick, um, if you like a good sketch note, and, you know, I'm... I'm one who who does love to uh, create sketch notes and loves looking at them on online and on social media and everything. Um, during the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit, this is my free online conference that I do for teachers every year. This is the fourth year doing it. Um, friend of the podcast, Jen Giffen. Jen Giffen does sketch notes, and she has watched so many of these. Um, Ditch that textbook digital summit presentations and has done sketch notes for them. Of course, sketch notes are like visual note taking images and text paired together. And so we pulled all of these together kind of in a tribute to Jen and um, created a post that's called 30 plus education sketch notes for inspiration and ideas. Uh, because that's really what you find when you look at all of Jen's sketch notes. So if you want to check all of those out, it's kind of neat because A, you get to see the evolution of gin sketching and um, you you get to see some really cool sketch notes, but B it also gives you a really quick summary of a lot of the things that have been shared in the, the summit over the years. So um, we've got a link to that, including if you go to today's show notes, schoolteachertribe.com slash one Oh two, I downloaded the sketch note that Jen did for Casey's episode, her presentation in the ditch that textbook digital summit, like, the very, very first one. And, um, so she's got, she is, that's right. Yeah. Um, so that one is, is in the show notes if you want to check that out. And, uh, the ditch that textbook digital summit is still going on as of the release of this episode. It's going through January 8th. That is January 8th, 2020, uh, depending on which year you're listening to this in. Um, so if you want to go get registered for that and start watching some of those videos, you can go to DitchSummit.com and get registered and start watching right away. And, you know, we should totally shout out to Jen because she was one of the first guests we ever had on the Google Teacher Tribe. She was on episode 10. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So if you want to check that one out, there's a link in the, in the show notes to that one as well. All 
All right, Tribe, episode 102 in the books, first episode of 2020. I hope you've had a wonderful holiday season and that you're off to a good start in the new year. And now you've got some new ideas for using YouTube in the classroom. So hopefully that's been useful to you. We really do appreciate having you as a listener. If you have not subscribed to the Google Teacher Tribe, we suggest that you do that no matter where you get your podcast. And don't forget, we love to hear from you. We really, really hint, 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 love to get voicemail. So thank y'all so much for participating and being a part of us in 2020, the new yeah. decade. Yes, absolutely. So we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.